banter, I hardly know her. Yes. Welcome back to SwitchCast Live. It is 8 p.m. on a Wednesday night, and you know what that means. Actually, you probably have a better show on Netflix or something like that at 8 p.m., so you're listening to us at a different time. That's totally fine, as long as you support our sponsors. Just kidding. Anyway, I am your host, Doug Tabbitt, founder of Switch Cars and Cannonball Run record holder, and with me tonight is Tony Kern Civic. I literally just learned how to pronounce that. I think I've known him for a decade, but we call him Tony K, and he goes by Tony K on just about every automotive forum, uh, of which he pontificates as an expert, probably (laughs) because he is an expert. Tony K is a staple of the Cleveland and Toledo car community. He is an expert in oddball cars and a uh, longtime British and Italian primarily car collector if you had anything other than british and italian cars lots lots of german cars porsches mercedes ah okay all right no gray german sedans though none and uh tony is integral in toledo cars and coffee i run toledo cars you run toledo cars and coffee and um he also has a famous car party at his house every year which is not just a car party. It's it's uh, it's Concord Eleven's meets Radwood, kind of in his front lawn. <laughs> and uh, how many cars do you have every year at that? Forty um, ish. Yeah, forty ish. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what do the neighbors <clears throat> think of that? Most of them like it. Uh, they they th- in, in our current at our current home, they love it. We get compliments. They. Um, you know, they, they they think it's just another nice perk to living in the neighborhood. Sure. Well, you so. don't have drag racing afterwards or the crazy exits. Yeah. Uh, you don't have loud bands playing. It's really just kind of a, a chill hangout. But uh, it is pretty exciting. I've been trying to go, I think, for the last 10 years you've invited me. And I always had something going on. Usually, I think it was my buddy Frank's rib burn off, which... <laughs> for some odd reason was more enticing than a car gathering but the year i finally went was last year it, i realized what all the the hoopla and excitement was about is a really really good uh odd eclectic and amazing collection of cars everything from a brand new ford gt to a lotus e clat or elite. elite or something this shooting brake two-door thingamabob a chop top gremlin yeah (laughs) yes that uh and everything in between and i actually tell me the story so you said what's your rule for the car party there are a lot of rules you're you're talking specifically about the gray german sedan yes okay do you want to jump to that you don't want to give the premise give the premise first and then we'll talk about the rules okay it's it began in 2008 and that was, you know, you know, cars and coffee was just a rumor in Ohio back then. Mm-hmm. And there was, and I had recently moved to Toledo, and there had there wasn't really any community of people who liked the European exotic sports kind of cars. And we knew a, a Lotus owner here, a Porsche owner there, a DeLorean owner somewhere else. And my wife and I decided, my wife Patty, love you, uh, we decided. Uh, we would just pull everybody together and have a party, have a cookout. And the premise was, number one, just trying to get everybody together. Number two, uh, uh, no no jerks, okay? Some people, their ego is wrapped up in their car, 
and other people, it's just a car. Mm-hmm. We invited only the latter group. Yep. You know? Okay. So just, you know, nice friends. How did people. I get an invite then? <laughs> I didn't know you that well. <laughs> so, And then it was too late to take back. Um, number three, uh, we were kind of poking fun at Concord d'Elegance culture. When we would do the, uh, uh, the awards ceremony, we would put on blue blazers and straw hats. Uh, blue blazers and straw hats, kind of like looking like we're from a barbershop quartet. Um, and then it was a little bit of a, and actually the inspiration for the awards actually came from something in here, which we'll probably touch on. The, the Cannonball book, yes, for and, those listening later. Um, and, and then the, the biggest thing that Doug was, was referring to, this was happening at the time, you know, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, there were red cars, blue cars, green cars, orange cars, brown cars. And at some point in the 90s... Lots and lots of brown cars. Yes, lots of brown cars. And at some point in the 1990s, you know, everything became a silver Audi. <laughs> and and I, th- I, I want to say also that, uh, you know, at this, you know, in the, in the 2000s when we started this, these 1980s and 90s and 70s uh, European sports and exotic cars, a lot of them were, were practically worthless. You know, mm-hmm. the Porsche, the nicest Porsche 944 was $4,000, okay? so And it, a major service was five. Yes. <laughs> and so it wasn't like there was any kind of barrier to entry at that point in time. But I think a lot of people back then were just afraid to to buy a Porsche or an Alfa Romeo or something like that, there was mm-hmm. still kind of a there was still kind of a stigma of it's always going to be in the shop and you can't get parts, you know, cause something left over from the eighties. So everybody was buying, you know, a a you know all the new cars, not all, but many new cars in the in the nineties and two thousands were were you know gray German sedans, you know, it's particular in Ohio, you know, Audis and BMWs, you know, gray charcoal anthracite black white alabaster whatever it was and oh the mercedes took it to a new level in the 2000s <laughs> it was it was the liquid silver the yes oh, shoot alu beam alu beam, beam. three layer silver <laughs> that was like a 20 or forty thousand dollar paint mm-hmm. option so but it was still gray yes and and so the the automotive landscape just turned very bleak before our eyes you know the, the, some parking lots in some places just look like a massive funeral procession I'm, so, I'm sorry i find it slightly funny i know what you're referring to but i find it slightly funny that coming out of the literally described as the malaise era of brown smog choked <laughs> land yachts you say that the 90s was the time that it became bleak <laughs> come on i i know what you're referring to it's because color but goodness gracious, from a design standpoint, that's when that's when cars started to get good yeah. again. So, but here, here's the other thing. So, at that point in time, anybody could afford a nine four four or a nine fourteen or you know a variety of other cars, and you know I think a lot of people still, you know, shied away from it and instead bought the gray German sedan. Mm-hmm. So. And honestly, we were we were sick of seeing gray German sedans everywhere we went. So we made a rule for the car party, you know, bring your fun, interesting sports, exotic, collectible cars, but no gray German sedans. 
Black and white are shades of gray, and wagon is a shade of sedan. <laughs> I'll take issue with you on the wagon part. <laughs> Wagons have become super elite now. Um, but you did, I remember, there was a gray E63 wagon, which I was all excited about, but you made him park on the street yeah, see, for, the, for the last car party. And yeah. it ended up backfiring, too, because a fire truck was coming down the <laughs> narrow street. It was lined by exotic cars, and those firemen were just all hot and bothered pun intended but uh and that guy in the e63 couldn't move his car fast enough to get out of the way so he, he shouldn't have brought it yeah i mean that's it the gray german cars gets get kicked to the bird uh, i you know i wish curb. we could make that rule for like all cars and coffee and i i, I say this i fully <laughs> understand that i'm like kind of on the line of the old cranky car snob <laughs> that is looking at these self-described hoonigans in gray german sedans that have loud exhausts and you know built-in vape filters and you know stance nation and all that but like don't bring them to cars and coffee like nobody wants to see those except you and your posse Uh, like i recognize the enthusiasm i recognize that those are the future of car guys and they are car guys in their own right and probably back in the you know, whatever, the poodle skirt era, people were saying that about the guys modifying, you know, Ford coupes. But it, cars and coffee should be, I, I don't know how you do this without being a snob about it, I guess kind of like the way you do it with your car party, but cars and coffee should be interesting, unique cars, not just poorly modified versions of gray German sedans. It, it, it is a fine line that you walk because... You want to be welcoming to everybody. You want to invite people. And yes, a lot of the the tuner crowd and the gray German sedan crowd and whatnot are the future Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche owners. And then also, if you start to say, well, we only want this kind of car, then people start to call you a, 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 a snob or a prick or something like that. Right. So, Well, and a lot of the times the people that own those types of cars are snobs and pricks. So you, don't, you might get a yes. better caliber of car, but not necessarily a better caliber of person. Yes, and, and, and it's, it's kind of a fine line you walk because y- you have to, you know, what I say with Toledo Cars and Coffee is that our core constituency, we cater first and foremost to the exotic sports and luxury car crowd, okay? Mm-hmm. Because what happens is the event gets too popular and it gets flooded with Challengers and Camaros and, and A4, you know, slammed A4s or whatever. And then all of a sudden an event that was you know, 80% European exotics and special interest cars all of a sudden becomes 15 or 20%, you mm-hmm. know, and, and then, and then, and then you lose the interesting cars because they don't really want to go hang out with an event that is primarily composed of riffraff anymore. So, and, and it, we, you know, I, I'd be careful on the word riffraff because, you know, a lot of them. Well, but those yeah. groups bring the riffraff, right? So it, it's like it, a. Yeah, I'll tell you what brings the riffraff is Facebook. <laughs> I, I thought it was Dodge Challengers. Honestly, I thought that was that was the line of the, there's a riffraff. There, there, I, I, I will you know I will say this with with Toledo cars and coffee. One hundred percent of the problems we have had of people doing burnouts in the parking lot or 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 just the the liabilities have been the late model muscle car crowd. Oh, the the yeah, that'd be me. The. <laughs> No, the the the, 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 going, the tuner crowd are, have always been cool and respectful, you know, and um, and you know, 
everybody tends to be, but if if we get anybody who, if if we've ever had anybody who was, who was making too much noise or or you know breaking the rules, and all cars and coffees pretty much have the same rules nowadays. Yeah, it, it's it always comes from the same. I'm trying to think. So when I originally sent out the emails for Cleveland Cars and Coffee, when I was running it, <laughs> after I started it. <laughs> Uh, uh, I I remember the tagline. It's coming back to me now because I, I remember along the lines that one of the rules was no burnouts. The other it was it was bees because it was no burnouts, no boring cars. So it wasn't a specific mm-hmm. like you have to bring an exotic or luxury car. It was just no boring cars. So it, it could be any end of the price spectrum. It was just like you know if your car is boring <laughs> or not. If it has rear yeah. doors, it's probably boring. <laughs> We we had no no burnouts, no bad attitudes, no burnouts. There was four things. I I didn't have the alliteration. I'm not quite the poet that you are, but um, I did draw a map of the parking for Toledo Cars and Coffee, and it was in a shopping center that we we did in a shopping center one year, and like behind the shopping center where, you know, like where the the dumpsters were, I I labeled that section beige Camrys. So <laughs> we we tried to do that. So we moved car, our cars and coffee was initially at Key Fifty Five, which is this waterfront <clears throat> cafe yep. attached to an apartment building. It was beautiful. I, I, I was there for the second one. I missed the very first one. Yeah, and it was like you couldn't park more than fifty cars in the parking lot. So it was it was great, and it it was kind of a self filtering event. And then we, the cafe closed, so we had to move to Starbucks in Garfield Heights. And more people started coming, and I was trying to kind of like cordon off the the upper parking area for the more interesting cars. And then everybody else could filter in, and I got some, some kickback for that. Wow, you're trying to be too exclusive, whatever. And the kickback I got was from the guys in... The, the gray German sedans who would show up at 7.30 and the event started at 9 so that they could park front and center in the upper area. And I'm like, it's not that you're not welcome. It's just that nobody's coming to see a car that they can walk down to the BMW dealer and buy eight of that afternoon. That, and then in a city like Cleveland or Toledo, any night of the week, there are a handful of events where that you can go to for muscle cars or, or tuners or sure. or something like that. And there really was no gathering for the European sports and exotics. Right. And that was really the the core purpose of it. I mean, we get a lot of other interesting or, stuff or too. Or just cr- kind of cross-demographic, yes. cross-branding. Yeah. We, so. we, we, we have a guy that occasionally comes to Toledo Cars and Coffee with a, a, a 19,000-mile base model AMC Pacer. You know, that's that doesn't fit in anywhere either. Right. You know, so right. we love the interesting and stuff. And it's not necessarily a good car, but it's not boring. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> it's, boring. It's interesting. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so I, I threatened to, to to Tony that I was going to bring the ubiquitous, not the ubiquitous, the, the notorious, sorry, I got to choose my big words here and not be Michael Scott, the notorious silver passenger car <laughs> to his car party one year because it is very much a gray German sedan and it was disguised to be as vanilla as possible. So I was wondering, I was going to test him and see if I brought angry Ursula 
the Cannonball E63 if he would kick it off of the lawn or not. And, and we, we had much discussion over this, and and we were, and we ultimately decided to give it a place of honor. Yes. So, and we were hoping you were going to bring the 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 Audi, yep. the, the 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 Ford Taurus. Yep. Yep. You know. And yeah, you Arnie, up in a Arnie couldn't make it at the last minute, but uh, I think next year. So the E sixty three is being rebuilt. It's mostly done. He's, they're fighting some electrical stuff, but I'm I'm sure by next year it'll be done. So one way or another, I'll make sure that I, I feel like it's only fitting that a gray German sedan makes it there. But it it, it it will be the only one. Yes, we can let other people complain who have no idea what the car is. Just don't say anything. We'll take all the stickers off, and I'll just get one sticker that just says gray German sedan. Perfect. Um. Yeah, so I was actually fortunate enough to win an award. It was the first event I had gone to. I, I should have gotten an award for like the, the the I should have gotten like the Scarlet Pimpernel Award because I was so elusive. I tried and been invited <laughs> ten years and didn't make it. But um, yeah, so I got this this um, old '80s van, '70s van on it, and they were trying to figure out what to write on it. This is a trophy for those of you in the audio audience. And uh, the award was seems legit. It was about my cannonball shenanigans. Um, and uh, on the side, you wrote, wrote free puppies because, you know, <laughs> vans are notorious in memes for trying to rope people in <laughs> to, to one thing or another. But I realized a few days later, I'm not my jokes are sometimes funny, but they're not always quick. I realized a few days later or months or something that we totally mislabeled this for car guys. We should have wrote on this written on the side free 10 millimeters. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> it, it, it's had a number of things written on the side of the van. Yeah. But um, when we did the first car party, it was kind of an impromptu thing. And we had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of nutcases show up you know just just a, a nice hodgepodge group of, of friends and um uh, i had one friend who drove from cincinnati in in some kind of a supercharged bentley or something and he he, he told us how much fuel he consumed <laughs> on the way there and uh and that, you know, I, drawing on inspiration from, from this book, which I had read years prior, uh, one of the awards that Brock Yates gave out was the Friends of OPEC mm-hmm. Award. Yep. And, yep. and so... Didn't uh, Dennis Mad Dog Menasini got that, so. right? For yes. his GMC pickup yes. truck. Yep. For, for yep. however many hundred gallons they, yeah. they consumed. So I said to Patty, quick, let's, let's make some awards. And... We just took pieces. We had we took some ribbon and we just cut little lengths of ribbon and cut a bunch of circles out in cardboard. And we just and we looked around at, at the cars and we just made a bunch of silly awards. So one of them was friends of OPEC, but there was another guy who had driven a Lola Formula Ford race car to the party on public roads. So from like, how far away? Um, uh, probably ab- about a mile, a mile and a half. That's pretty cool. And. Uh, and during the party, someone looked at it and, and said, yeah, you drove this here? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's almost legal. And so that became what we called the, the – the, uh, so that, that first time won the almost legal award. 
was, gotcha. was that formula for so it. So that's kind of so the seems legit one is like the evolution of that, right? Yeah, we we had to what we had I did to change across the country was it, it, yeah. yes. Yeah. It, you you know, had to change the verbiage for obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> okay. So. We'll leave that there. <laughs> oh man. So uh, all right, to- Tony drove those of you who are um Vin Wiki fans, I guess, diehard ones, and or who have watched all of the podcasts and remember the Jeff Badger story of Club Motor Estates will we'll get where I'm going quickly. But for the rest of you, for the majority of you, um, you drove in in a Jaguar S-Type. Yes. Which is a rebodied Ford Taurus. Am I oversimplifying it? Uh, it, uh, it is... It's the Ford DEW platform, which is the Lincoln LS and the Thunderbird. Okay. All right. I am oversimplifying it because the Lincoln LS platform is actually a decent, decent chassis. They did not <clears throat> age well at all. I mean, that styling-wise they did, but yeah. the cars were horrendously unreliable. But anyway, car guys really like to make fun of the Jaguar S-Type. It, it, was, it was an unloved car. It did not do well for Jaguar. And both the S-Type and the X-Type kind of just... I, I don't know. They, they're, they're not usually stereotypically serious, legit car guys don't drive those. That's the stereotype yeah. anyway, yeah. right? Okay. Not trying to be unkind to your, to your choice of auto. It, it's also old man tan. Yes, it it's, is. It's, beige as beige oh, gets. It's, it's topaz is the name of the color. It doesn't get any more <laughs> old man as tan Jason than that. Camisa calls it Jewish racing gold. But uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway. Uh, so you drove in on that, and I had a flashback. I thought it was so funny because that was the car. Do you know who Jeff Badger is? I've the heard the club, name. Club Motor Estates guy. The guy who started... Is that Chicago area? No, it's Cleveland. Cle- okay. There are ones in Chicago, but they're legit ones. This guy was springboarding off of the success of those and actually legitimately copying their marketing videos and promotional stuff and 3D renderings because he didn't have his own uh to to market one in cleveland but it was essentially a scam and he used people's deposit money to buy a building but then didn't have money to build out um, because he never had the money to buy the building he had gotten a loan from a capital company but they withdrew um the the financing and uh so he had to come up with another reason way to get the funds so he you know, sold people, they gave him $100,000 deposits, he used those to buy the building, even though that money was supposed to wow. be used for the build-out, so then people owned an empty space that hadn't been built out, the building got foreclosed on, it, a whole big thing. But he came to me uh, before he had, when he was still pitching the idea, and tried to get me kind of on board, whatever, wanted me to, you know, cross market be involved and i said you know basically you get it built we'll talk but i'm not you know i'm not gonna front you any money i'm not gonna pitch it to my clients until i see what you've done and i know you can be trusted i don't care what you're offering me so the but the reason the red flag that went up in my head (laughs) that said this guy is not to be trusted he's not a real car guy is that he drove in in a jaguar s type (laughs) it's a sure sign you don't have any money (laughs) I was like, well, I mean, fine, if you like them and you want to own one, fine. But if I owned one and I was going to meet the owner of a dealership that I needed their 
you you'd know, be better in a their trust. Exactly. <laughs> I'd be better in a rental Hyundai because at least that would signal, well, you're not trying. Yeah. You're yep. just, you're driving an economical <clears throat> car and you, it wouldn't, but it was like, well, you're trying, but you fell short. In defense of the S-type. I want to hear this. All right. <clears throat> so <laughs> I, I, I want you to think back to the 1990s when cars went from being angular to being jelly bean aero blobs. And, uh, you know, Ford introduced the, the oval-shaped Taurus and Sable. And Ford had recently purchased Jaguar. Mm-hmm. And they introduced the S-Type at about 99 or so. And when I first saw it, I thought, oh, you know, it, I, I hated it. To me, it was, it was a, a, a glorified Taurus. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't have the, the crisp swages of a, of a real Jaguar. That's okay. Glorified Tauruses have set cannonball records. This is true. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I did not like the car one bit. And you could, you could see the cost cutting in, in the design of it from, from a mile away. And I thought ur- you were trying to defend it. I'm going to get there. <laughs> and, and, and the early ones were nowhere near the quality of the later ones. Okay. And here's what happened. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the uh, current president of the Jaguar Club of Ohio, Juan Becerra, my good friend. Um, in, I'd say about 2010 or so, no, 2013, 2013, um, we, had a, we were living in Cleveland. We had a car party in Cleveland. And at that time, I had lent a Lotus Esprit to Quaker Steak and Lube in Sheffield. And it was up on the lift uh, inside the restaurant, which was great because the, the manager would give me steak dinners anytime I stopped by. He, you know, it was a very popular attraction inside the restaurant. Yeah. And, oh, and then you didn't need uh, oil on your fries. You could right. just, put, just hold on to the just Lotus. Eat <laughs> underneath the they Lotus. Had, they had to stick a rag <laughs> up under the valve, the cam cover, <laughs> because it actually oh, did drip. I'm surprised they didn't completely drain it. <laughs> So um, yeah, there's a video somewhere on YouTube where I'm driving into it. But anyway, um, and so the Quaker State cruise in. So we had, we had a guest at the car party who had flown in from the UK, uh, uh, the one and only Bibbs who runs the Lotus Forums. He made a surprise visit. A bunch of my friends arranged for him to surprise him. Wow. So he wanted to get a taste of American car, car culture. And we said, well, let's go to Quaker State because you can see an American cruise in and we can eat dinner under my S1. And so we did, and we're there, and it's full of hot rod, you know, Chevelles and Mustangs and everything. And there was one DeLorean, and then there was this young dude in a Jaguar S-Type, and he was just a total nut about European cars and Jaguars and, and Ferraris and all of that stuff. And, and you know, at that point in time, I, was, I still am very much in a mode of, you know, I, I'll, I, I want to get to know anybody like that, right? So we started talking with this guy, Juan, and, you know, he's a pretty cool guy and everything. And, you know, so his car was this, was this Jaguar S-Type, and it was in absolutely perfect condition. It was, you know, show quality, which even by that time, a lot of them weren't. And um, at one point in, you know, months later, I got my first ride in it, and I said, yeah, it's not that bad, okay? And then at one point, um, probably about 20... probably about 2014 or so, about a year later, I was looking for 
some economical transportation. And I, I started looking into these, these S-types. And the early ones I would avoid. The early V8s have, have the same issues that the early V8s and the other Jaguars of that era have. And the early ones have a Ford transmission, that a Ford 5-speed automatic that gives, gives trouble. Mm-hmm. And the suspension doesn't feel anywhere near as good. The interior is, uh, I'll, I'll quote a, a magazine, called it Euro Bland. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but then in 2003... They completely revamped the interior. They revamped the suspension. They revamped everything except the exterior, and everything was a step up. And it had a a, a, a six-speed ZF transmission, the same one that was put in every luxury car mm-hmm. in that era. And that engine, the the V8, I wouldn't buy, but the three-liter V6 is, it's you know, it's a derivative of the the Mondeo V6, the um, the Duratec V6. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is an engine that really has no weak areas it's you know it has no achilles heel it's it's it it was i I, if i'm not mistaken i believe that ford paid porsche to do some of the development work on that engine it's smooth they don't leak they don't have any cylinder liner chain tensioner issue they don't have any issues like that it's just a good solid smooth engine and you know there's probably been a couple million of them there's been millions of them made at this point and they're powering escapes and and tauruses all over the the world and they're just doing so without any drama okay <laughs> so it's it's an, an it's over- very unjaguar like of them so yes um so so here's this great reliable engine hooked up to a great reliable transmission and the corrosion protection on those cars is excellent um and it was one are of they the aluminum body. No, they, they are steel body, okay. but they just, they're galvanized and they have, you know, they they just, they did a great job. You know, in the UK, you'll find some with rusted sills behind the plastic sill covers, mm-hmm. but we're just now, you know, the, these things are, are all 15 to 22 years old at this point, And we're just now seeing rusty ones here. You know, that's wow. e- e- even, even in Ohio, you know, look at how many S types Chevy trucks start rusting after 15 months, <laughs> and, and Dodge. You know, yeah. so and the other thing is, it was one of the first cars to have a five-star pass rear passenger side impact rating. And hmm. I had two little ki- two little daughters at the time, and and uh, and the later ones, the interior, the early ones, the interior, eh, nah, but the later ones, the interior, it does have a nice sense of occasion to it. So here is a nice, smooth, quiet, safe, reliable car, and it was Ford everywhere. It, everywhere that you wanted something to be reliable and economical, and it was Jaguar where you wanted something to be pretty or or robust. So, so great. Well, it, it, so the entire rest of the show is going to make fun of cars that you drive, but you just okay. own me on that one. So, <laughs> mm. oh no, I got no more material. Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our Switch Cars dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save a whopping 25.39% at checkout. Uh, Again, call in 216-294-4124 if you want to chat with the 
Northeast Ohio legendary Tony K about Lotus, about vintage Porsches. The young timers cars. They're calling them young timer cars now. Although your your car uh, collection and enthusiasm starts kind of at the a little bit before that, like mid to late seventies, right? I, I think in, at least in Europe, those are still considered young timers. Okay. I think of young timer cars kind of like the same as like the rad era stuff. Um, and uh, we were talking about Radwood at dinner, actually. You had a good observation, a couple of good observations about Radwood. That relay that again. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'll start by saying I'm so glad that Radwood came about. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to talk generations here for a moment. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, as a Gen Xer, I bought my first old classic collectible car in 1991. What was it? A a 77 Trans Am. Now I can never use that for a security question on my online banking again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and uh, and well, no, I mean only if that was your first pet. Well, I mean, my that's usually my, the security question. My, my my first pet was a rattlesnake. What was its name? Its name was. That's the question you can't answer because that is a security question. It, it, its name was Cannonball. Cannonball. I'm oh, about, boy. I'm, I'm about to pull a Kaiser Soze off of you. I'm reading off the wall behind you here. Right. <laughs> so, so well, you, and that... And, and my other pet was Baker. 77 Trans Am. So I assume you're a big fan of Smokey and the Bandit. I, I think uh, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it. And a big fan of Cannonball. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? A lot of, well, a lot of people hadn't see still haven't seen the movie it's it's hit or miss i mean okay the better question is you've you had seen the movie cannonball run were you you said you had read brock Yates cannonball book so were you interested in the movie because you knew about the real cannonball or vice versa i first saw the movie one and two mm -hmm. in the 80s when they came on television they would usually come on around the holidays you know, like Thanksgiving or something like that. Just same time, like the spy who loved me would come on, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, as a kid in the eighties, you see a Countach on the, you know, driving through the desert. It changes your, you know, happened to quite a few of us. I would like to think. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it so, initiates the process. Yes. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it, it wasn't until I was a teenager that, that I learned it was a real thing Somewhere I bought that 1971, I think, issue of, of Car and Driver magazine. I, 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 you know, the one that says Cannonball across the, the cover. 75, it should be. August 75? 1975. I have it in my, uh, in my, uh, in my office. My what? This one? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was August 1975. Okay. 75. There okay. it is for all you people watching. Um, yep. It's, yeah. uh, um, Bill Warner's 911 yes. on the front and a, Trans Am behind it. The Super Duty Trans Am, right? Yep. Yes. And I believe that car was, uh, I, I think I read about that car. I, that may have been how I found out it was a real race. I think I, I read a, an issue of High Performance Pontiac Magazine back in the 90s, back okay. in the, the, the early to mid 90s. And I believe that car, there was a feature on that car. I think gotcha. it, was, it was in Illinois at the time. Okay. So. All right. So back to your first yep. car is a 77 Trans Am and yep. then back to Radwood because yeah, this is to, all how it. Okay. So. So the big circle we were going. Uh, all right, so you know, I'm I'm a Gen Xer. Just in case anybody forgot, there's a generation in between the baby boomers and the millennials. Okay, <laughs> and 
and there are not a lot of of um, you know there there just aren't a lot of Gen X car car enthusiasts not not the muscle car types and not the not the sp- sports and exotic types either mm-hmm. and you know for years and years I would go to car events and I was always kid or boy everywhere I went and and so for a very long time you know I was I was twenty to twenty five years younger than everybody else at every car event I went to you know and um, and so I was very thankful. When Radwood came about, when when the millennial generation finally finally became of of car collecting age, you know, and the and the whole market floated up because you know for the longest time the cars I liked were worthless because because the the, the generation older than me didn't like them. So mm-hmm. every every magazine said that a Lotus Esprit S one was a was a, a car to avoid, you know. <laughs> However, the, however, the Europa was incredible. Uh, you will okay. never, ever, ever see that in any publication now. The literally the, the the honestly, I feel like I feel like they've just started using new euphemisms for garbage cars, and it's the next big thing. It's underappreciated. No, it's this car sucks. <laughs> And that's why it hasn't it hasn't gone above ten grand. But everybody's all about collectability and future value now. So it's just like, well, this is the next big thing. I'm like, no, no, it really shouldn't be. Well, I, I, I kind of I kind of get the sense that the market value of a particular model tends to follow the disposable income of the people who like it the most. Yes. So. Yeah, it's the it's the Jay Leno, uh, uh, sort of the Jay Leno theory of. Um, people pay for what they remember yes yeah yeah so you know nobody was paying for and there was nobody remembering anybody who liked you know an early lotus esprit didn't have any money you know and and you know so that followed through to the 80s esprits and whatnot and they were yeah and and you know the ferrari three you know for, for how long was a Ferrari 308 a twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollar car while its predecessor the dino was 10 times that amount mm-hmm. or more and for what why i i think that was the probably the single bit looks <laughs> i beg to differ but you know sure um uh the i don't think either of them are terrific cars i think they're both gorgeous cars but 10 they're t- good cars t- 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 10 times but for one to be a multiple of 10 of the price of the other or right. or the you know the e-type versus the xjs okay uh, I'll I'll argue you there. If I, I, I mean, if only for looks on that, the E Type is one of the most beautiful cars ever produced across any manufacturer, and the XJS is a car. I, I I believed that because for many years magazines told me that, like Octane or Classic and Sports Car or whatever. And then one day, um, I was I, I was. Uh, I was a caretaker of a, a black 91 convertible XJS for somebody, and I had a, a friend who had a black E-Type. That was a Series 3 E-Type, okay? You know, Which so, is, yeah, the, the less yeah. pretty ones. But, but in any case, one time, just for fun, we parked the two of them together, you know, kind of like, like you would for a, like a photo shoot, kind of like pointing to each other. And I stood there looking at it, and I said, I said the XJS is this sleek, svelte, trim, tapered car with just beautiful proportions, and the E-Type is a clown shoe. I, 
it's a it's a pretty clown shoe. And how many iconic movies has the XJS been in versus the E Type? That may influence it too. That may influence it a lot. Harold and Maude, right? <laughs> Uh, all right, we have uh, uh, somebody on hold here who, uh, Robert from Texas. Howdy, howdy. How are you doing? Howdy, howdy. Hello from Texas. Yes, hello. Ba- uh, your friend Bailey. Do you know Bailey Walton? I do not. I would love to meet it's, him, though. It's I'm a big state. He's here tonight, oh. but he's from Texas, sort of, but he's really from here. But yeah. He, he moved to Texas. Well, anyway. Howdy this is, from his new home. Yes. He <laughs> salutes you well, from the studio. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, you had a real question. So I, I recently acquired a 2002 Maserati Coupe GT. And I, through my research, found out that they only made 35 of them for the U.S. in 2002. I'm starting to need to research to get some parts. And I wondered, from your experience, is it easy to find a replacement clutch plate custom made rather than waiting for something from the OEM to cut? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I'm looking out at Dan Doucette to see if he's listening to see if he can confirm that there are only 35 for the U.S. in 2002. But um, is it the Cambio Corsa or the manual stick shift it's car? It's the manual. The, the, the Cambio Corsa is one I really wanted to avoid. Yes. Because just garbage hydraulic actuation on that transmission. What's that, Dan? I think he's right about the Oh, Dan Dan Doucette affirms your number. <laughs> he he knows all. He knows I think more. he's so, right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's very cool. Uh, not that you like it any more or less because there's 37 or 33, but uh, it's, always, it's always fun to bounce those numbers off Dan. Um, I have only heard of one made in yellow that year. Interesting. And that might be mine. I haven't heard of a second one, but with only 35, that's a plausible thing. Right. So are you having issues with your clutch and you're trying to source replacement parts or what's the... Trying to source, be proactive in source replacement parts because I know it's going to happen. So like the rest of the world is doing with with chicken and beef and and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Baby (laughs) food. Yeah, I need an exotic and, and clutch diesel plate. exhaust <laughs> fluid. Yeah, good question. I mean, he, here's a here's the real answer. Probably should should uh, get a CNC shop and make your own, uh, because the people making that stuff are are becoming in greater short supply than than the stuff itself. Uh, good luck getting anything from from the OEM and. Um, yeah, it's it's you have kind of a double-edged sword though. There, you have only thirty-five cars, but having only thirty-five cars, you have guaranteed that there's no market that the aftermarket is going to cater to. So, you right. know, F, FCP Euro ECS tuning are not going to supply aftermarket clutch plates for a two thousand two Maserati. Aftermarket. Yeah. yeah. And a, a quick second question: Do you think that this was a hidden gem? Because I got this for a little over fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, Tony, what's what's your thoughts on the clutch sourcing thing? Um, my thoughts are that if had this been a nineteen seventies Maserati, they would have probably had like leftover inventory of these things <laughs> sitting around because they weren't able to sell, you know, produce enough cars to use them. Right. So just, just go buy three cars from the junkyard and <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> use them as parts cars. But, but no, I, I you certainly bought it quite right we recently sold a 03 or 04 for like 28 grand so um the manuals i think are, are 
are, are good cars. I mean, it's a detuned 430 motor, if I'm not correct. It's a 4.2 liter V8. You are correct. Yeah, and it's not as it, tight as isn't some it also other cars. A, a, but uh, isn't it a 90 degree crank instead of a, a flat crank on that one? Or am I thinking uh, of something else? You may be right. It's it's not an. You're correct. It's not a flat. Yeah. It's not a flat plane crank. Yeah. Okay. D- Dan signals Bailey. Bailey tells us yes. That's that's why so. it doesn't sound as good as a 430. Anyway, um, no. Um, I'll agree. <laughs> well, but it, good golly, it, it's a tenth of the cost of a 432. So let's mm-hmm. let's be honest here. That's we're not going to get a little bent out of shape about uh, 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 some minor modifications, <laughs> but. Um, the one we sold had a Tubi, and it actually sounded really, really good. Uh, with those, I, I mean, I like that's the Jajaro designed one we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? I like those. Aren't the two big concerns with those the heater core and the cam variators? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I I believe it's a massive job that the heater cores leak, and it's a massive job to to change them. Uh, you, it wouldn't you, surprise me. You, you might want to check on that. It's it's Italian design, so yeah. My my massive I'll concern my was those, the the cambio course and avoiding them like the plague. But I've I've only had two in 15, 16 years, so I'm not super up on all the common issues. But, um, yeah, I would uh, – good luck. I mean, yes, I would stock up on them on any way you can anywhere stock up on aftermarket parts and, I don't know, convince some machine shop to, to make you some or something, mm-hmm. and then you can sell them to everybody else on the forum when they run out. Let me add this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with – little bit older cars the lotus esprits and you know the community gets to be there comes a point in a rare exotic car's life where they get where they're old enough that most people don't care about them but they're not old enough to be celebrated cherished classics and at that point the the community of owners at least i've seen this with lotus and lancia the the owners they kind of band together and there's always you know like right now there's there's always some guy 3d printing you know, an obsolete piece of Mm -hmm. Lotus trim. So, you know, there'll be someone who makes, you know, 20 years ago when you couldn't give away a Lancia Scorpion, there was a guy who, who, who did a run of, of the, the the cooling pipe tubes that go through Mm -hmm. the chassis. So at some point, you know, you're probably going to, if there are 35 of these, uh, of these uh, manual Maseratis, you're probably going to know 12 owners and someone's going to do a run of clutch plates you know, or is, is it the clutch plate they need or the, or yeah. the flywheel? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So go on uh, masochist owners forum. <laughs> I mean, Maserati <laughs> owners forum and uh, yeah, join up there and, and yeah, it, it, that is a good point about the community. There's always somebody that's resourceful and, and offering something up. So, and they, they'll do a run and then they'll end up sending the leftovers to a vendor yep. and then the vendor will mark them up and sell them off. Yep. And so, yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for the call, Robert. Was that it, or did you have another thank question? No, thank you so much for your yep. time. Absolutely. Enjoy the car. Go put a go I, put a I fat doubt. exhaust on it. <laughs> <laughs> have a good one. You too. Thanks. Um, Stefan Schaefer had a really good question that I wanted to ask before I forgot. So um, he's a, a wealth of internet knowledge, which most people say disparagingly, but it's one of those things where it's like, he didn't learn everything from Wikipedia. He actually, the stuff he knows, you know, it's the saying, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Well, everything Stefan reads is true or everything he retains. (laughs) 
Um, he's been a great asset for our lemons racing team with his forum knowledge. Um, he said, asked in the Esprit world, there's a lot of debate on whether the later years of the Turbo 4 or Turbo V8s are the better iteration of the Esprit S4. What are your thoughts on this and why? And as a, a background to this question, for those who don't know Tony, Tony owns a lot of Lotuses. Lo, lo, Lodi? Lotus. 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 Lotus cars. If you're you've you've owned you have you own and you have owned a lot of Esprits, including a yellow one that you accidentally bought for your three year old daughter. But that's a whole nother story, in and of itself. Yes, this man accidentally bought a car for his three year old. Um, the, the question: uh, the the the, the, four, the, the late V8. four cylinders versus the V eight. Yes. Okay. At one point, um, so I. You, at one point, people called the Esprit S4S the Toyota of Esprits, okay? That was the, the ultimate evolution of the four-cylinder engine, and the, the production of the four-cylinder cars continued in Europe even when we only had the V8. I think it went on to about 99 or so. But, um, you know, that engine was first developed in the, the early 70s, the, the Lotus four-cylinder, and it went through a whole lot of changes, but... Um, and, you know, by the time you were, you know, in the late 80s with the Stevens bodied cars, it became a, a pretty reliable engine uh, mm -hmm. and pretty long lasting engine. And then that was up through the S4 and then the S4S, they made minor, they made minor tweaks to it. I, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a Lotus guru who knows more than me that might correct me on this, but I believe they stiffened the block a little bit for the S4S. And that car, that was that was the one where they just really got all the bugs worked out. And for the most part, you know, also, you know, the Renault transmission in those cars was much more robust than the Citroen gearbox that predated it. However, they never could get the shifter to work well. That was another thing that, that they made improvements with. And then, then came the V8 Esprit. And, um, you know, the early cars, some of them had some issues with, I believe it was the, the adhesive on the cylinder liners or something to that effect. That's, but, a, that's a bad adhesive to have a problem with. Yes, yes. And, um, it's not like the door sill plate <laughs> adhesive. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. So, but, you know, the, some of the early V8s had issues. And, you know, that was a brand new engine for Lotus. And, and you know, a lot of the V8 owners will tell you it's an excellent engine. Um, but, you know, yeah, there is definitely debate on it. And I, I fall, I fall on the side, not by a massive margin, but I do fall firmly on the side of, of the S4S is the, is, is, the, the, one is the one to have. Yeah. I, I like, well, I like the more modern styling, styling of them, but so I, uh, my only experience with Esprit's and they were a, um, like a, a kind of a childhood dream car, right? They were on um, <clears throat> on my wall, yep. all that. Um, but it, it was kind of a never meet your heroes thing because 
the first Esprit that I ever transacted, I took in on trade, and it was a Turbo V8 car. It was a final edition or some sort of, it was an 03, so it was either an anniversary or final edition, some sort of special it's edition they, thing. That's all they had towards the end. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, a lot of manufacturers do that. Um, but I remember the going through the receipts, and right before I bought it, had a huge service on it, brand new turbos, et cetera, et cetera. But I still was so gun shy on them because they just had a notorious reputation for being abysmal from a reliability standpoint. And I immediately wholesaled it off because of that. Cause I didn't want to have to deal with the after sale headaches. And about a month after I sold it, the dealer came back to me all bent out of shape because the turbos were leaking oil or something. And they, thought it was you know my fault and i'm like dude listen you have two problems one you bought a lotus so you should should have known going in two i had all the receipts that all this work was done how is that on me that that you know so that was my only experience with a modern esprit and it was enough to make me really really gun shy about ever stepping foot near one from an ownership perspective even though i love the styling it's more of a childhood love for it because of the nostalgia and i like the looks of them but i don't want to actually experience them you know and the first thing that came to my mind and don't answer this but who did the work i don't so, remember and but yeah, that's that's a good question within a spree that is so critical because you know, I, I've learned over the years, you can't take an Esprit, you know, a lot of people have taken an Esprit to a Porsche or Ferrari shop or, you know, some exotic car place, but they don't work on, you know, they don't work on any. And you really have to take one to a specialist, somebody who knows what they're doing. And the other thing is the factory workshop manual for the Esprit, it tells you everything you need to know and you need to do exactly what it says. It's If it says use this particular sealant, Get that particular sealant, even if you have to order it from the UK. Don't use, you know, this substitute or, or you know, th there are some substitute sealants you can use, certain Loctites and whatnot. But, but you want to, if you want to get advice from, from an expert on on servicing it, and if if you service it with the right parts exactly as the manual says, it will be a reliable car. Mm -hmm. And you know another another compare. But, but that's a problem for most Corvette and Mustang owners, though, because yes. they don't want to change the oil ever. Yeah, you know, and you or know, the tires. For and, that you know, and that's a great example. You know, the the oil filter, the Lotus, or you know, there are there are you know at least half a dozen oil filters that have the exact same can shape and size as the Lotus oil filter. And some of them have an anti-drain back valve, and some of them don't. And you know, the filter sits on the top of... And I'm talking about the four cylinders mm -hmm. here, okay? The filter sits on the top of the engine, and it sucks the... It, you know, it, it, it sucks the oil up through a tube, and then spits it out through the bearings and up to the cam boxes. And if you don't have that anti-drain back valve, then when you start that engine, it's going to run, you know, five to ten seconds without oil pressure. Hmm. So then you get the guy who who starts the engine, who, who puts the wrong filter on it, starts the engine, and the first thing he goes, Rrrr. okay, oops. yeah, oops. <laughs> and then, you know, that wears out the bearings prematurely, yeah. you know, and the rings or whatever else. It's like every Lamborghini Gallardo owner, cars and coffee. 
<laughs> I've got to spit flames for the Instagrams. <laughs> yeah, and then the car goes up in flames. Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers in more than 200 countries. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy, flexible, live streaming platform for organizations. Boxcast is so easy, we are broadcasting this show live with our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Robert Adams says, my Cars and Coffee has an exotic... Has an exotics parking section with the rule, no Maseratis. <laughs> uh, John Harrison hey. says in hey, the John. 80s, the Europeans had the best car colors available. Okay, I feel like we, we got to talk about John Harrison a little bit. So you own, you are such a massive Cannonball fan that you own... Uh, I own a Lotus Esprit S1 that is identical to the car that John Harrison campaigned in the 1979 Cannonball. Yes. And it did you buy it because of that? Like, were you searching out one, same color, same spec? or No, I, I bought it because I love the color combination. Mm-hmm. I, I first saw the car around the year 2000 or so, and and I just loved it. And, and I was acquainted with the owner through a, a Yahoo group. And I said, if you ever want to sell it, uh, let me know. And, you know, a few years. A Yahoo group. Yes. Yahoo oh, groups. Man. That's, <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, and uh, I, when, and he had owned it. He was a longtime owner of the car. And he, uh, when it came time for him to sell it, he, um, uh, he, he reached out to me. And I was not in a position to buy it at the time. And he ended up selling to someone else local in central Florida. And that person owned it for a couple of years, and then he put it on eBay, and I, you know, oh, you know, there it is. And somebody else in Central Florida bought it, who and owned it for a couple of years, and then in early 2007, and in in the 2000s, I had been, I had kind of become a hub for for trading Lotus Esprit S1s. When mm-hmm. people wanted to buy one, they asked me if I knew of any, and when people wanted to sell one, they asked me if I could help them find a buyer. Well, the gentleman who had, uh, his name's Mike, hey Mike, uh, who had, um, who had, who owned the car in the mid-2000s, he reached out to me. He said, hey, you don't know me, but I, I know you You do a lot with, with early Esprits. I'm looking to find a good home for this car. You know, and, you know, the only person I can find to buy it locally wants to buy it for his teenage kid. Oh, gosh. And, 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 and I said, That's I said. Such a terrible idea. Yeah. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I want to buy your car. Because that was the one you had missed that, out on a few yeah, years that, that ago. Yeah, that was it. Yep. That was it. So, so I finally bought it in 2007. And, and um, it wasn't, you know, I, I had known that. You know, I, I, I had read Brock Yates' Cannonball book. I forget when it came out. But, you know, I had known that there were two Esprit S1s in the 79 Cannonball. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember the 
the timing of when what happened or anything, but at some point, uh, John Harrison joined one of the Lotus forums. I think it's a now defunct forum. I can't remember what it was called, Lotus Buzz or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and he he posted some pictures from from the cannonball. Oh wow, you know. And uh, it was either that or then it, when you watch the movie, um, when all the cars are parked at the hotel in New York or in Connecticut, um, in, in the parking lot, uh, a number of the cars in the parking lot are actual cars from the Cannonball. Yes. And you can see John's car in the background. I was like, look, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a, an Oxford blue Esprit S1 there, you know. And um, so it, it came to... Uh, you know, somewhere between that clip, that clip in the movie, or I, I think it was probably the clip in the movie. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I, I came to the knowledge of the fact that that hey, this is identical to to John's car, and there were about there were a couple dozen Oxford Blue S ones, mm-hmm. and there kind of became this. I think there were a number of people who were quietly searching. To find where's the you know where's the where's blue the cannonball, cannonball one the actual does anybody know where the actual one is it, it, yes it 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 had been it was somewhere in Scandinavia mm-hmm. I don't know, Norway or Finland John John would know because he's been in touch with them mm-hmm. and it had big surprise it had been painted white oh so. that's right I I did hear that yeah 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 okay and, and it's being restored now but anyway you know so so I I just decided uh, you know I I had. Um, yeah, I like to get fun license plates on my cars, and for a long time, I, I for for about eleven or twelve years, I had a, a a white Esprit S1, a factory Monaco or a factory gel coat white car, and I held off in the, the license plate in Ohio PPW306R was had been available for years, and I held off. I'm not going to get it. No, that's kind of hokey. I'm not going to do it. Da 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 da. And then, and then one day I checked O plates, and it was gone. And I checked VinWiki or wherever it is you can look it up, and it had been registered to uh, like a, a Chrysler Town and Country minivan. Oh no! So, so I I said before, you know, and the license plate can and ball C A N and B A L, you know, I I had gotten that idea from actually that red Trans Am that Super Duty has that on, in that article from mm-hmm. you know, and I said you know what I'm before someone with a BMW or something buys that plate. <laughs> With a Z3 or something like that, buy, buys that plate and puts on a, it, it. You know, okay, it's not a real cannonball car. If but. you're listening, Donadell is making fun of you for having cannonball plates on all your BMWs. <laughs> I, I said I'm going to go ahead and get that plate and put it on the on the blue car and call it a tribute. There so, you go. So there it is. And now uh, you just need a CB radio and ancient tires. <laughs> I think I've got the ancient tires. <laughs> So for those of you that don't know, uh, and this is you know this is not a knock at all. It's just um, the the Lotus had a DNF um, because it had an experience with a guardrail. I, I believe in Ohio. Um, yeah, uh, but the 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 backstory is a little bit funny because they were in such a rush to get to the starting line that they had skimped on tires, and it was either that they didn't replace the tires that should have, or they they went to some local tire shop and just put on r- really cheap tires um it, the story's in the book i don't i don't remember the details of it but um that was that turned out to be uh, part of their undoing with a combination of of wet weather and and uh fatigue and and all that so that was um you know everybody was fine they just had to 
had an intimate experience with the guardrail, but um, that happens. But uh, th- there's the joke about old tires on the <laughs> Cannonball Tribute Lotus. For because if you have to explain it, it's not funny. But um, okay, back to the question. Sorry. Uh, uh, oh, uh, speaking of the Lotus and John, so there's a, a Cannonball reunion coming up in September. Um, I think it's the third weekend in September in New 19th? York. Something like that. Yeah, the 19th, I think, on a Saturday. Some, somewhere around and, there, yeah. Are you going to bring I'm, your Lotus I, I, to I, it? I will do my best. Okay. As the Great Marks Concord Elegance, I think it is. Okay. There, you know more about it than I do, and I'm supposed to be there, so <laughs> as are you, but I just know that I'll go somewhere and do what people tell me to do. So, um, yes. So, it, hopefully, your car will be there. Um, mark your calendars. This is going to be great. It's going to be a... a really cool reunion of past and present cannonball cars uh angry ursula should be there the fraud taurus uh i think bullion's bringing up his car um i'm sure the boston guys will bring down there's a, and you know some some old cannonball cars have been located uh travis is going to bring out his transcon medevac uh we met somebody at amelia this year who ran in the 79 cannonball in their mercedes 300 sec i think it was and um they still own it so hopefully they'll be bringing it up um i tried to buy it off them to no avail but uh john harrison also says don't knock the s1 unless you've owned one that's funny um Nick Kruger asks, I've always wanted an XJR and or XKR. How much worse? That's a good start to a question about a Jaguar. How much worse is the 4.0 versus the 4.2? Do I need to pay the premium for the 03 and up, even with good maintenance records? Yes. Yes. The 03 and up is a 4.2, right? That's Correct. The, yes. Correct. Okay. That, that was the one that they put in the, the, the Land Rovers and Jaguars yeah. and kind of across the, the board. 4.0 is 4.0. No. <laughs> so, there, there's a reason that the that the 95 through 97 six cylinder xjs are worth more than the 98 to 01s yeah yeah so all right easy easy answer there go for the 4.2 uh <laughs> i'll let you refute this one mr cj irl german cars equal good british cars equal made of biscuits <laughs> Like from Popeyes, they start to crumble after an hour of ownership. You you take an hour to eat your biscuits from Popeyes? Come on, I mean that's a whole another this, problem. This, this I, uh, I I have a saying. This is something that's been repeated at the car party many times. If you want to enjoy the drive, no wait. If you want to be seen, you take the Italian car. If you want to enjoy the drive, you take the British car. But when you absolutely have to get there, you take the German car. <laughs> you'll be parked on the street at Tony's party, <laughs> but you'll get there. You'll get there. Um, thank you to Tyler, to John, uh, for uh, giving us one of the, the, the button things where you can tip our show. Uh, we appreciate that. That's a really cool feature. And, and I know we've he's had some really great questions every week. He's a... a, a, a stalwart of the show no a loyal listener searching for words here live is really awesome he said keep up the good work duder uh (laughs) and asked if i'll ever visit in charlotte i was actually in charlotte a year and a half ago i was down there buying a mercedes for my wife and 
it was kind of in the middle of the pandemic so it was half the stuff was closed we tried to go to foreign cars italia i don't even know if that's in charlotte's greensboro I, I think that's charlotte and uh yeah got yelled at for not wearing a mask and not having an appointment and then they realized i might actually be a buyer and said oh come on come come back come back and we can find you a salesman and i was like yeah i know the cars are more interesting in the service bay anyway because it was all just new ferraris and I, I don't know what it is about new exotic cars don't do they're, that much for they're, me they're, they're anymore, too big but yeah and they kind of all look the same but i yeah neil Klassen, you should tell them neil who's that oh he's talking to you oh neil the guy with the 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 salmon colored clk 430 the 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 quartz colored quartz yes yes yeah yeah i I saw him in amelia you should tell them about our african cannonball trip to miami (laughs) i don't think he can i think that was one of the things he said he didn't want to discuss (laughs) the alleged trip and in in a in a nutshell um so so neil neil is from south africa and um and we uh he was buying in 2005 um i i i i have some very good friends in miami um my my one friend um the, the it was a family three the parents and, and three sons and they were in the the jewelry business and i was buying a uh, a diamond ring for my for my soon-to-be wife you know to propose to her and you know they they found me a very high quality diamond you know that gave me gave me a family kind of price and at the same time um uh my my you know my my best friend of of the of the three of them he had an alfa romeo gtv6 that mm that you know once again this was 2005 you couldn't give away a car like that right and neil had to have a gt days you know neil wanted a gtv6 so we uh we went down in my 85 944 porsche 944 and we met um uh, my 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 friend with the with the gtv6 is mauricio and his brother jose um, we, we met them at, at the, at, the, at Mauricio's condo building. And it was, it was just, it was kind of a surreal sight because, because, um, uh, they were, they were replacing the balconies on the building. So we were just standing in this massive construction, construction site. And, and I, you know, I asked Jose, you know, do you have the ring? And he's just standing there. He says nothing, just pops it open and it's glinting in the sun. And, and meanwhile, Neil is checking out the, the, the GTV six, and so we had a we had a fun drive back from Miami back up to you know wherever in Ohio I don't even remember where Columbus uh, and um, it, it was very interesting because we had we had two 1985 2.5 liter cars with the transaxle in the back mm-hmm. one's German one's Italian you know and. Uh, so you know we we had a, we had a. Did fun- you have a trailer hitch on the nine forty four for when the Alpha <laughs> broke? <laughs> they both made it. They both made it. But so so we actually took somewhere I'll dig up the logo. But we took the Cannonball logo, and and uh, and we called it the you know with a nod to Neil's heritage we we call it the Afro Cannonball. That's <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, Neil's a great dude. Um. So you bought cars before they were popular, 
a lot of them you talk a few times about when when you couldn't give those cars away and and some of them still aren't popular uh (laughs) what dream cars have you wanted that you didn't get a chance to buy that have recently gotten popular very popular and maybe priced you out like what's something you had your eye on that you maybe waited too long and I hate talking about the market, but the market is what the market is. There's no yeah. denying that it's gone up and up on I, a lot of these cars. I, I'll answer that question simply with nothing. Okay, um, that's a good place to be. Th- there, there are, you know, I, I I answered a questionnaire recently. You know, what what's your dream car? You know, what car would you like to have? Um, I, I I was well into these these you know exotics of the '70s and '80s before everybody else was. So I had lots of opportunity to buy a lot of things when nobody wanted. You you used to be able to buy a Countach for, you know, eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And you know, at one point I had a handful of Esprits and a couple of three oh eights and a little bit of money and I thought to myself, Hey, I could buy one of these three or four Countaches that are languishing on eBay right now. And I, you know, I had an opportunity to sit in one and I, I, I said to myself, it's never going to be this cheap again. You know, if you want one, you better do it now because 10 years from now, it's going to be $200,000. And, um, uh, it, you know, I just decided that, eh, yeah, it, it's nice, but I, 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 I don't think I want one, you know, and hmm. I, I, I'd say... And then, you know, there are cars like the, the Lancia Stratos and the 037 that I never really wanted to own them because, I mean, I do like to drive my cars. And, you know, th- those two cars, when they were, they were too young to import, you know, back when. So I, I, I never took too much of an interest in them because, because I just didn't f- feel it was feasible to to import one Mm -hmm. so and i'm I'm kind of lucky that my collection has my my collection hasn't gone stratos but it but it has gone up enough that that there's there isn't really anything i want that's that's out of reach right now sure so so uh, we talked about something else at dinner and this is something i struggle with a lot is the balance between being a collector and and Mm -hmm. desiring the variety of having a lot of things and trying a bunch of different cars um which you can do that just by having car add and rotating in and out of it um (laughs) the old uh keep your woman but switch cars (laughs) theory (laughs) you're kind of the more keep your woman and amass cars type of deal but you you do trade in and out but anyway i digress um but Owning a lot of cars comes with storage concerns, which you're storing cars offsite, all <laughs> over the different place. house, all over the place, uh, and um, insurance and maintenance, uh, and just a lot of headache, and even just trying to find the time to drive all of them, and, right? And, so and, and, and keeping track of the keys too. But go oh, on. <laughs> yeah, the keys. Yes. Um, well, the keys don't matter on old British cars because it's not going to start anyway. So, um, so th- then the, the thought goes, okay. And, and I've had this thought and, and kind of went through this process last year where I sold off a bunch of cars because I'm like, I want to get one really crazy car. Like 
it's cool being a car collector and having all this variety, but maybe I'm spoiled because I have variety anyway. If I want to drive a different car, I can pull something out of inventory and drive it. But I just got tired of having cars I couldn't drive and that I had to think about being fixed and spend money on. I'm like, just get one. So have you ever thought, like, is there a car that you would say, man, I'd sell like five or six to get that? Or have you have you gone back and forth of, this is crazy, I don't need 13 cars, let me just get one or two unicorns? Um, I, I, I think about that frequently, and I don't think there is a car that I would sell five or six to get one of. Okay. Okay. If, if I did, it would be the Countach, but I've kind of decided that, eh. I guess the better yeah. question is, how often has your wife said you should sell five or ten of these? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Patty has been very supportive of me um, because the the other thing that, that the car hobby has done, it, it has, you know, we, we've met great people. Mm-hmm. We've traveled all over the world because of these cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, you know, and um, it, it has created, you know, tremendous social opportunity. You know, Patty loves the car party because... She, you know, she's the hostess of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they have been a, you know, they've just been great all, all around. And, um, you know, in the last several years, I've been buying more than selling. And, you know, the, the number of cars floated up. Mm-hmm. And something we didn't get to talk about at dinner, but that maybe we'll squeak it into here is, is I've kind of taken a liking to the cars of the 2000s. Okay. Okay. It, you know, it's good styling. So, so it was I'm, a good period of cars. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to back up to. We talked about the Malaise era and Radwood and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, Which you had a good point. You said Radwood should stop in like the early '90s. Yeah, I'll, because I'll, there's a big shift. Oh, go on. Yeah. Yes. So I, 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 I went too long in the preface. I'm thankful for Radwood because that finally brought these cars that I like into the collector spotlight. They were no longer. You know, a Porsche 944 is no longer a thirty-five hundred dollar car. You know, they they were no uh, the millennial generation. You know, somewhere around the year twenty fifteen or so, just just the millennial generation started buying cars, and mm-hmm. the market the market raised, and so finally my you know my eight thousand dollar Lotus Esprit became a fifteen thousand dollar Lotus Esprit overnight, right? And retire uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. And, you know, I, I have a, yeah, as far as Radwood goes, I think it's great that the 80s and 90s are being celebrated, but those are two so disparately different, so distinctly different decades. I, I mean, car culture and popular culture just did an about face somewhere. I said 92, you said what, 94, 95? Yeah. So, you know, well, this, it started in 92 because yeah. they were designing those cars. You know, the Viper is maybe even a good example of that. It came out in 92. They're penning it in 89. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. it's always a few-year cycle I, there. I, I would I would reframe everything. I would call – I would relabel automotive history. I would have what we call – I would call an era the exotic car era. And it starts with the – it starts with the Mira. That was really, you know, the first mid-engine, low-slung, mm-hmm. and it, it starts with the Mura. It ends with, you know, the F40 or the NSX. And the, and the reigning queen of that era is the Countach, okay? That was a special time in automotive history. And, yeah, there were, you know, 355s and, and you know, what was the, 
I, I love the 456, but what was the flagship, the V12 in the in the 90s Ferrari? The uh, the 550 Marinello. Yeah, yeah. The late okay. 90s. Yep. Yeah, th- those those weren't on anybody's bedroom wall. Okay, you know, not that I knew of. Well, the 550 was on my my right. wall. But okay. Anyway. All right. But 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 you know, in in the in, ninth... in, in the sense that yeah. Porsche 930s, slant nose, and Countach's and all that were on yeah. the wall. Yeah, the, those, yeah. Those are iconic for the yeah. for that. Yes. Yeah. There, there aren't. Yeah. Those are iconic cars. And 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 in the 80s, you know, people tried to look. Everything was glamorous. People tried to look pretty. And if you had an exotic car, you were big the, hair and big wings and big vents. Yeah, yeah, and 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 if you had an exotic car, you were cool. And at some point from the mid '90s onward, if you liked an exotic car or a sports car, you know, it meant you were an insecure, egotistical jerk who was compensating for something. Hmm. You know, and uh, and you know, you could see that in the market. You know, the cars that were a hundred thousand dollars in in the you know late '80s, early '90s were suddenly you know, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. You know, just the market plummeted. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, and that was also outside forces. I mean, Jap- the Japanese were buying up all those cars, and yes. their market fell and, apart. And 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 also, well, also, you know, the, these cars that were like impossible feats. You know, the, the you know these Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Lotus of the eighties. You know, in the in the late eighties, early in the early nineties, the Japanese came along and made something. That was that was faster, you know, as fast as all of them, and you know, reliable too. Yeah. You know, the NSX, even the 300Z, the twin turbo yep. Z, and the Supra for that the matter. The Supra. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and so that just kind of put an end to an era. Okay. But then I would call the next era, from about '96 to. And, you know, like ninety three to ninety five, that's like a transition period. You know, stylists lost their way. Like the, you know, the, the Pantera had had like all those tack on body. You, you know, the, the the cars that kind of lingered into the mid nineties from the seventies and eighties, like the the XJS and whatever. They they had all these plastic add ons to the body. They they didn't know what they didn't know where to go, right? And then you know, the cars of the nineties were a lot of you know jelly bean aero blobs. So the styling was completely different. Pop culture was completely different. You know, we went from from Miami Vice and pastel suits to grunge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you see a little bit of that at the Radwood shows. It's kind of yeah. this mixed thing of people aren't sure which way to go. Yeah. And and there wasn't. And but but that was so. You were either one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the nineties, if 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 you were, you know, if if you looked and dressed, you know, there's that scene in that Adam Sandler movie where he pulls up in that Trans Am to the high school. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it was. Yep. Yep. You know, um, but you know, 1996 kicked off a great era in you know the, the 2000s. I think we're going to look back on the 2000s as a great period in automotive history. Mm-hmm. Displacements were getting bigger, horsepower was increasing every year. There were like you know small cars with V8s again, mm-hmm. um, and the sport sedan war. The sports with a sedan, BMW or, M5 and, and E55 and, and XJR, yeah, and and uh, XKR, and, and, XJR. and stylists finally came out of their shells. We, <laughs> you know, they, yeah, there yeah. were a lot of interesting cars. Although there's a lot of retro stuff, but there was a lot of, you know, it, it, you know, the, the '90s were kind of boring, you know, with the, with the the jelly bean blobs. But I would call that period from about it, it really kicked off in '96 with OBD2, mm-hmm. and. I would say it probably ended somewhere around 2008 to 2010, somewhere in that area. You know, mm-hmm. and 
you know, at at that point, you know, I know the the recession helped put an end to things, but also, you know, very quietly displacement started getting smaller and the two liter turbo became the mm-hmm. standard motor where the, where the three and a half liter V6 used to be the base motor. Right. And, but I think if we look back and I think you, I may be mistaken here, but I think you also saw a little bit less of designed obsolescence or product life cycle in cars in the two thousands than in the 2010s. Absolutely. So, you know, what I see from the, and also the other thing is, you know, in the nineties, the water-based paints and leather dyes were new and they weren't that good. We had a lot of cars with peeling clear coat and Mm -hmm. all that. Really by the two thousands, they were still, you know, rust proofing was, was still very good on a lot of cars. They had perfected the water-based paints and dyes. So a lot of cars have good longevity from the two thousands. Um, you look how many are on the road today, right? Yes. And you know, they, you know, we had the, the, low emissions and ULEV vehicles, you know, we just had a lot of efficient, powerful cars. Some, you know, like I said, some, some, uh, you know, finally some interesting styling. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be looked back upon as kind of a golden era. And and I think, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of my era of coming into appreciating cars more in the, in the late nineties, the beginning of that era growing up was the cars that influenced me. So I'm biased. I think that is and forever will be the golden era. But yeah. it's an age thing, you know. Yeah, uh, we got time for a couple more questions. We're going to pull the ones off the live stream here, um, and uh, and then we'll wrap up. So, um, oh, man, this is this is actually a good question. We'll we'll try to answer it quickly. Elon Musk is suspicious. Forty three. With all this talk of an impending recession. I'm very curious about how things were in 2008. What effects did the 2008 recession have on the car business and car values? Um, I heard a very good uh, delineation of kind of what's going on now, or maybe I read an article about how the recession now is not going to look anything like the 2008 and 2009 recession. Um, That was a drastic drop, a, a, a bottom falling out, of a house of cards, um, which the, the inflation we have now of assets of housing and cars is, is not caused by the same factors as what happened in 2007 and 2008. Um, so I don't think we're going to have a bottom falling out, but all that to say 2008, really 2009 is when it affected things. Um, it, it, it was scary. I mean, the stock market went to seventy five hundred. I think was about the bottom with, with of of the Dow Jones. Um, March of two thousand nine. Yeah, uh, houses thirty to fifty percent off. Car values. I mean, it, dealers went bankrupt left and right. Every exotic car leasing company went bankrupt. All the ones that advertised in Dupont Registry. Uh, because you know there's so many people leasing Lamborghinis and kind of uh, commodity exotic cars that just their values evaporated overnight. Uh, there was a customer of mine had a warehouse in Florida where Aston Martin was shipping their new cars and just storing them there because the dealers refused delivery because they couldn't sell what they had on their lot. It was. Uh, it was nasty. It was really, really bad, really, really scary. You know, uh, in looking at the older cars, 
uh, I think there had been uh, a number of people who had, you know, bought bought cars on home equity lines mm-hmm. and things like that. And yep. yeah, there that were, was the thing to do. Yeah. So there were a lot of fire sales. Yeah. 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 And I, people are doing that now, too. People are making the same mistakes today that they made back then. And that will come back to bite people. Like leveraging debt based on your assets going up in value is never, ever a good thing. Uh, trying to spend the wealth that you have on paper, unless that paper is cash in your wallet, like it's just not a good thing because if those things reverse, if you lost, lose your job, if anything goes backwards, then you have to pay those things off or they get taken from you. And that when that happens on a massive scale, that's, that's when the the values reverse. Um, So yeah, I'm interested to see what happens, but I don't think it's going to be a recession, anything like what we saw back then. Um, John Harrison said, if anyone offers you a ride in an LM002, run away. (laughs) Is is that like the, the exotic version of a creeper van. The, the, no, the, and it's the Lamborghini the, SUV, a, yeah, yeah, with the Countach engine. I just think yeah. that's funny. Um, Dave Clink, who is a master Mercedes mechanic and doesn't usually say anything good about anything not Mercedes, said, I liked the S-Type and I gave the X-Type an E for effort. There, <laughs> I said it. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, VLM Chris said embrace the garbage because for the price of a new Tahoe you can buy a lot of cheap future classics <laughs> in quotes <laughs> for the price of a new Tahoe you can buy a friggin house yeah. <laughs> holy cow uh, Tyler DeJohn this is the last question we'll answer from the live stream uh, part of me wants to buy a 97 Viper GTS good car the other wants an 02 to 04 Corvette C5 Z06, which would be able to hang better and be more enjoyable. Uh, I'd rather look at the Viper in my garage any day of the week. I'd rather drive the Z06 because it has working air conditioning. That that's, that's that's the answer for me. That's out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, too too new, too not obscure. Um, <laughs> all right, we're we're gonna head towards the end here. Anything, Tony, that you want to get in? Before we go to the props and flops. That uh, John Harrison is right. Drive in a Spree S1. <laughs> <laughs> Drive in a Spree S1. All right. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for being on tonight. Thanks, Doug. Yes. Um, the props and flops of the night are brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick, actually, I made Tony do the pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory, and your pick was? It is the Bentley Continental. Continental, Continental GT Le Mans edition. Le Mans edition. So it will get you to uh, the the pregnancy class really, really fast. <laughs> Dad Joe, I had to get one in. <laughs> uh, yes, no. So that one I sort of intended to buy for myself, but nothing really is. Uh, it's a sapphire blue over bourbon Not interior. Cognac. Not cognac. No, strong, strong. It's a stronger <laughs> interior. Uh, more alcohol content. I don't know. <laughs> Proof. I, I'm struggling. There's a joke there somewhere, but I'm not getting it yet. Um, 
anyway, it's got 60,000 miles, but you, if I told you it had 6,000 miles, you would believe it. Was Beautiful. that interior it's, not it's gorgeous. stinking perfect? Every receipt from the Bentley dealer serviced two, three times a year, whether it needed it or not, which it always did because it's a Bentley. But seriously, it is one of the best ones I've driven. It's super tight. Uh, the guy took incredible care of it. So anyway, I may have found something in Europe that I want to try to buy and import. So that one is going to be up for sale. So if you want a good deal on a one of 49 Le Mans edition <laughs> Bentley Continental GT, drop us a line. And the Use, perfect color combination. Yes. Use discount code SWITCHCAST to save $1,000 off whatever asking price we decide. Our prop of the week, this is kind of broken the internet, so I'm not going to say much about it, but the drive reports that uh, you can now rent from Hertz a 900 horsepower Ford Mustang GT500. That's right. They did that in the 60s, right? Well, yeah, but not 900 horsepower. No. And they, well, they did it again in 2006 because they brought back the Shelby GTH, but it was a, like, it wasn't even a Shelby. It was basically just a Mustang GT with the Shelby stripes on it. And they, they literally deleted the traction control button. So you couldn't turn the traction control off. I was really annoyed because I had one and I wanted to do a burnout. I'm like, what the crap? Uh, I think they were all in automatic. But yeah, so if you want to uh, do a really, inefficient cannonball you can go out and rent a 900 horsepower ford mustang from hertz and i don't know put like a rf blanket over it so they don't know what you're doing because i'm pretty <laughs> sure they're going to monitor your your usage of that so anyway that's cool i'm glad that some company still doesn't care about their insurance policy or the license status of of their renters the flop of the week, uh, let's see, Rally Road is an app where you can buy fractional shares of exotic cars. They're now just called Rally, and you can buy fractional shares of all, shares of all sorts of luxury items, watches, baseball cards, beanie babies, I don't know, maybe even NFTs. There's nothing more fake about literally <laughs> buying a piece of a uh, digital piece of something. I, I don't know, but anyway... Rally Road launched an ad campaign. They've been blowing up my Instagram and Facebook. And it's the, the tagline is, billionaires don't buy stocks. They own assets. Which is ridiculous because Warren Buffett, is nets, his net worth is made up almost exclusively of stocks. Uh, Elon Musk, I mean, you name it. Billionaires absolutely do buy stocks because... Stocks have gone up in value on an average of about 10% a year since their inception. It's a fantastic investment. Yes, they also do own assets, but here's the thing. Buying a fractional piece of something is not buying the asset. You're literally buying a stock in it. So their, their own ad campaign is like negating what they're selling. They're asking you to buy a stock in an asset that you don't have. <sighs> I'd rather drive the car. Exactly. But you don't want to buy 1% of a Jaguar XJ220 that's being stored somewhere in New York? Anyway, uh, yeah, the, it, the comment section, I'm not the only one that feels this way. The comment section of all their ads is a, is a dumpster fire, as it should be. Um, anyway, Tony K, thank you for being on the show tonight. Thank I look you, forward to uh, seeing you at some Cars and Coffee this season. Um, where is where and when is Toledo Cars and Coffee if people want to come out? <clears throat> it is the second Sunday 
of every month as long as there's no salt on the roads. Gotcha. So sometimes so we're clear. November, December. And then it is at River Place Shops in Perrysburg. Gotcha. And so. no burnouts, no boring cars. Gray German sedans have to park in the Camry <laughs> lot. Awesome. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Boxcast Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking, who made us this amazing desk. Thank you to our producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music was provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us tonight, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m., where we'll look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life.